0: John three sixteen to 17 For God so loved the world he gave his o- one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to commend the, the world, but to save the world through him. Psalms 24 The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in this holy place, the one who was clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindic- vindication from their Savior. Such in the generation of those who speak Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob.
1: Power switch. I don't know. <laughs> Call an electrician. <laughs> I want to start off today by saying a, a big thank you um, to everyone that helped out on, on the service on Friday. Thank you very much, uh, Miss Wendy and Miss um, Jill and man, um, uh, well, Aunt Peggy and you know, Steve and Amanda and gosh, there's everybody. Yeah, Jane. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, but yes, just thank you guys very much. Uh, it was a really nice service, and um, yeah, Jane and Steve, thank you so much. Um, thank you very much for for everything that you guys did. It was a it was a lot of work, but it was a beautiful service, and I know the the family really appreciates it. Um, I I made a typo in your bulletins. Uh, the food bank is January seventh and eighth, not the eighth and ninth. Uh, we could do a Sunday food bank, I guess, but I don't think anybody would show up. <laughs> so um, I don't. You need a pen? Correct. <laughs> no one. Uh, so this Friday we have Christmas Eve service at six p.m. Um, then uh, on Sunday the twenty sixth we'll have just a, we'll have our worship service at our at our regular time. No Bible studies this week. No Bible studies till the the new year. Uh, we have some good news uh, for uh, for our missions update. Um, Ray and Candice Ward were able to uh, to get back to Thailand. So that's a uh, that's a huge praise that they were able. Uh, ...to do that. To to that they yeah. landed the day before Candace's birthday, and they got there just in time for Christmas, and the whole place had this whole thing set up they all- Oh, I bet. That is... That is awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, if you have any prayer requests, please remember the, the tear-off tab on, uh, on the back of your bulletins, and if there's anything that we're missing, anything that we need to know, please put that in the offering box at the back of the church... Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray, Father. We come before you this morning. We are. It's kind of a mixed Sunday. We remember those that we have we have lost, and we hurt for ourselves and for our friends and family, and. We're also thankful. We're thankful for Christmas time. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful that we get together in your name, that uh, we have your word open in front of us. We need your spirit. We need your love. Please come and fill this place. Amen. We uh, are in week four of Advent. We light the, the last candle before we light the Christ candle. And the theme is is love, is God's love. We read uh, John 3.16 and, and Psalm 24. And we're going to jump into uh, to John chapter 22, verses 42. Uh, t- John ten twenty two through 42. It's, um, it's interesting because we have just had a, a strong reminder that every day is precious. That tomorrow is not promised. Uh, tragedy is one of those things that brings into clear relief the idea that when the sun comes up, we should rejoice, that when we take a breath, that we should rejoice because it's not promised to us. In many ways, when we suffer a loss, it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to think about the eternal, to think about the end of our time on earth, and to cherish that, to realize how precious it is. And we're going to talk today a lot about eternity. That's one of the things that is um, right in here, and I think that's what I, what I titled the message today is talking about eternal life. So we're going to open to our Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. It says, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice; I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I would underline that verse. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I And the Father are one. I want to pause there for just a moment, and the reason for that is that that part there—that no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I will, um, no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's important. I say I would underline that in your in your Bible. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, "I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me?" We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father." But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true, and in that place Many believed in Jesus. We'll start with uh, the setting. And just as a, as a notice, we realize in John's gospel, and John is highlighting this, that Jesus had a habit of going to Jerusalem for the festivals, for the times when people would be gathered. In this particular case... Um, Jesus has returned to Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. But you could do a Bible study if you chose to. You could do a Bible study of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, through the Passovers or through Tabernacles or through the Feast of Weeks, highlighting what he did during those times. You could pluck those out of the Gospels and do a Bible study just based on those festivals. The time, it is the last week of December, it's the Feast of Dedication. It was right around the time of Hanukkah. In 164 BC, the temple was rededicated after Josephus Maccabeus, who did, he defeated Antiochus Epiphanes and reclaimed the temple. Remember, the temple had been desecrated for several years. The, the celebration of Hanukkah is the festival of light. There was enough oil to keep the temple lamps burning for one night and it took seven nights, seven days, to make new consecrated oil. But the oil lasted for those eight nights until the, oil, the new oil could be made and dedicated. So that's what they were—they had the festival of, of Hanukkah, and then they have this festival of dedication celebrating the rededication of the temple. FYI, when we get into to Easter time, that word Gethsemane, it means oil press— what that word means. So when, garden, when uh, Jesus is praying at the garden at Gethsemane, he is at the, the foot of the Mount of Olives at the garden, probably where the oil press was. And FYI, they, they believe they have found the wash basin. Remember that this was consecrated oil for the temple. So you had to wash, you had to be ritually clean to go work the oil press or go work those olive trees. And so there was a wash basin there for the Jews to be able to, to be consecrated, to be clean, to then go work. And they believe they have found that wash basin archaeologically. So here it is. It's after Hanukkah. We've had the Feast of Dedication. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he is walking in Solomon's Colonnade, or Solomon's porch or portico. Um, we have a couple of, of pictures to put up here. Uh, we've got this slideshow just so you can see where, where it is. On there, it's on the right-hand side of the map. If you look on the map, um, here it's on the, the front. You can see that Solomon's porch, or like I say, Solomon's colonnade. This is a picture of Solomon's temple. So, Solomon's temple had been destroyed in 586 BC, but there was one part of a massive retaining wall that was still standing. So, when they rebuilt the temple, they took that wall, it's a retaining wall, and they made this porch or this colonnade, a covered and shaded area where people could gather during the day um, and be in the shade. and for the fun part, we could picture this scene kind of like, uh, you know, the sharks versus the jets, you know, the, the disciples and, and Jesus and the Jews walking towards each other, right? These Jews are intentionally coming up to Jesus to confront him. They want to ridicule him in front of the crowd to turn the crowd away from Jesus so that they can either get him to say something wrong, to commit blasphemy, or in some way to be able to get rid of him. John doesn't tell us if these are civilians or leaders, but John's language indicates it is a similar group as the audience before. Some are open to listening, others are not. The point of that is to say that Jesus is divisive. In the end of our verse, Jesus goes out to where where John the Baptist was preaching, and many people believe. John wants wants us to know that not everyone came to faith, that not everyone came to belief, but that some did. Notice that John focuses on The reaction of the people who did not come to faith. Over and over and over again, he has talked to, to us about unbelief and what that looks like. After this, after this time, Jesus will spend three months with the disciples before returning to Jerusalem for Passover. He will enter as king, and then he will be crucified as a criminal, and he will rise, the Savior of all mankind. This is the end of John's record of Jesus' early ministry. In the new year, as we head through John 11, things change. But John wants to make sure before we get to the crucifixion that we have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. John has repeated and repeated and repeated this to us. He wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God repeated this many times over the last few weeks, but John twenty thirty one. this is the whole point. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And at the end of the section for today, the people will pick up stones to kill Jesus. This marks the fourth time the people will do this. They will try to kill him for what he has said. And this is a message of hope, It is a message of hope, but we cannot be mistaken. People don't kill other people for saying God is love. That's really not divisive. People don't kill people for saying love God or love your neighbor or go to heaven. So why the stones? Why try to kill Jesus? John 7, 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but... It hates me because I testify that its works are evil. When we tell the truth, when we tell the truth about sin, about evil, and about the judgment that is coming to the world, that is what is divisive. And that's what Jesus does. When you tell people they are of Satan, that they are of the world, that they stand condemned before a holy and righteous God, that they will die in their sins, people don't like that very much. They don't. So the Jews, they gathered around him, and they're saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus was a popular and controversial figure. This crowd gathers with the intent of confronting Jesus. Their leadership has been saying that Jesus is of Satan. It's in Matthew 12, 24. It says, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. We're going to pull this out and look at this in context because it illuminates the contrast. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the Son of David? Is he the Messiah? And in a moment, Jesus is going to refuse to answer the Jews plainly as they ask because the answer is simple. The works and miracles of Jesus are plain. The evidence is obvious. The demand for an answer from God says much more about the crowd than it does Jesus. This is Matthew twelve twenty four says, but when the Pharisees heard this they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. So Jesus responds. He says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus gives a two-part answer that should change their minds. It should change their minds. He says, evil promotes evil. Evil does not promote its own destruction. And if you do good by the power of God, when I do good, how is it by the power of evil? Verse 29, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus is divisive. There is no middle ground. You are either on his side or you are not. I would put a bookmark on that part about the spirit because we're gonna go look at that in the next section on unbelief. Then he continues on. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus again says the fruit of our lives, our words and deeds, broadcast what is in our hearts. And we don't want to get that backwards. We don't want to put the, the cart in front of the horse. Faith results in obedience, and obedience produces good, fruit, good, fruitful words and deeds. Faith is loving, treasuring, desiring God first in all things. Jesus says when you stand before the throne of God, there isn't going to be in gray. You won't be using loopholes or, or doublespeak. He says that what was in our hearts will be obvious. It will be like looking at an apple tree in summer. Either it has leaves and fruit or it doesn't. You won't be scratching the bark and arguing that the tree of your life has a vibrant core, like Ron White says. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So we get back to verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe... Because you are not my sheep. Jesus responds to the demand. He says, I have told you. Notice he did not say I told you plainly. That word plainly is used a couple of times throughout John. It means to make it extremely, you know, factual or obvious. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I don't have to testify about myself. My works testify about me. And here's the thing. The evidence about Jesus as the Messiah is obvious evidence isn't the problem the evidence is clear and convincing it was clear and convincing then it is clear and convincing now the blind see the paralyzed walk lepers are healed the dead are raised jesus has quoted scripture from genesis to the prophets he has taught like no one else the bible says he taught with authority So, as we sit here today, I ask you, what more do you need? What more do you need? Do you want moral teaching that is right and true regardless of the culture? It's right here. Do you want teaching that promotes healthy individuals, healthy work, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy children, healthy families, healthy societies? It's right here in your Bible. Go take a sociology class. Every sociologist says the same thing. Healthy societies are built on moral individuals. The ideal has not changed. Two parent religious families with mom and dad in the home are the healthiest. I wonder if that's somewhere in these pages. Go take an economics class. Two parent mom and dad households where both mom and dad graduate high school, get married, get married before kids, and stay married are the most financially stable. I wonder if we could find that. Dave Ramsey is a multi-millionaire, and all he does is write the proverbs with a southern accent. <laughs> the same financial advice that builds wealthy families in America is written in proverbs. Maybe your thing is math: Pi, Fibonacci sequences, golden rectiles, rectangles, multiplication, addition, subtraction, weights and measures. Boyle's law. Archimedes' principle, all of them in the Bible. Maybe your thing is science, biology, cosmology, meteorology, chemistry, all of them in the Bible. And that's before you get to archaeology and history. Did you know that they think they found Sodom and Gomorrah? I didn't know that. I've been reading that book by Eric Metaxas. I think they found him they uh, found these, uh, these two massive cities. They, the guy found them by reading the Bible. I know, crazy. but he's, I, I read Genesis where it says Abraham was standing. He could see the column of smoke to the north 40 miles away. And the guy went and he stood where Abraham stood and then he looked and he went 40 miles away and he found these cities. They're in, uh, they're in Jordan. But when they dug through, what they found was they believed it was like a meteor that struck them. What they found was that, so they have the, the pre-Bronze Age, Artifacts, And then there's this layer of ash, like the place was just burned, like it was flattened. And then you have 700 years. These two massive cities were not occupied, and then they were reoccupied. That's what they're finding. Ur of the Chaldeans, we found it. You can go see Hezekiah's tunnel. You can go dip your feet in the Pool of Siloam. You can see the base of the Pillar of Boaz and the stone on the Temple Mount outside the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You can go to Nazareth, where they think they have found Mary's childhood home and Jesus' childhood home. Did you know that? You can go to Bethlehem, where they think they found where Jesus was born. You can go fish in the Sea of Galilee. There are over 40 locations in the books of Acts alone that have been archaeologically verified. King David, King Hezekiah. Did you know that they have located Susa, The citadel where the Book of Esther took place? Did you know that? In the face of the evidence, whether it's moral evidence or philosophical evidence or science evidence or history or archaeology, you name it, how can unbelief exist? How can it? The evidence is clear and convincing. So, why does unbelief exist? How can unbelief exist? Jesus gives us the answer. It, it opens up to us a mystery. We don't know the whole thing. But quite frankly, if, if your God is so small that you can understand everything about him, you, you don't have the right God. Our God is huge. He's way beyond my understanding. Galatians 4.9 says, But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? 1 Corinthians 8 3. But whoever loves God is known by God. Two things are true. We choose to believe. We choose faith. We choose salvation. We choose to love God. We choose to treasure God above everything else. That is a free will choice. The second thing is also true God chooses us. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The works are obvious. They testify convincingly about Jesus. But you're not my sheep. You aren't mine. You aren't marked. You aren't set apart by God. That's what he's saying. So we're going to flesh this out. We're going to look at both choosing and being chosen. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, say, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Joshua twenty four fifteen. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 1 Kings eighteen twenty one. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver be- between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Choose. Acts two twenty two through 41. Say, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not to abandon to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Did you get that? They choose and the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, accepted. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is the free will part, the choosing part. The other part is being called by God. Jesus said, But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. John 10 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. John 10:14 to 18, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep i have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen i must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd john 8:42 through 47 said if god were your father you would love me it means that there are people that god is not their father for i have come here from god i have not come on my own God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Why? Because you are unable to hear what I say. They're not able to. They're not called. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me of guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is a mystery. Calvin and Wesley wrestled with this quite a bit. And like I said, if you can fully understand your God, your God isn't very big. There is a gap. We don't understand it. There is a free will part, and part of it is God's will. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 say, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead things can't choose. They can't. They just sit there. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for, all, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, did what? God acted. He made us alive with Christ while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're going to beat this horse to death, just FYI. Colossians 2, verses 9 through 15 say, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Again, you could do nothing until God made you alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Thank you, Lord. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is clear here. He is talking about the God part of the equation. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. They are his sheep. They know his voice. They were given to him by his Father. The sheep did not come on their own. They did not choose the shepherd. The sheep are owned by the shepherd. They are his. They know his voice, and he will not lose a single one. 2 Timothy 2.19 say: Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Again, two sides to this mystery. One side is you choosing Christ. One side is God choosing you. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16 say, "'You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. "'You know when I sit and when I rise. "'You perceive my thoughts from afar. "'You discern my going out and my lying down. "'You are familiar with all my ways. "'Before a word is on my tongue, "'you, Lord, know it completely.'" You hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Again, it says, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Both sides, the free will side and the called side. And we cannot neglect either side. They do not believe because they are not his sheep. If they were his sheep, they would believe. It's a fascinating picture. God has chosen a multitude of people who have also chosen Jesus. This multitude makes up a body, a mosaic, a colorful, many-splendored, just wonderful body that God has chosen to be the bride for his son. The church is a prepared bride. We choose Christ. God chooses us, and God prepares us for Christ. That's how he describes his church, as his bride. So while we're here on this earth, we have been chosen. We have been selected. And we also have chosen to follow Jesus. John six thirty five through 40 say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go, thir- go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me, Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Underline that, I will never drive them away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks up to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. It's to our next section, which is about eternal life. It's about eternal life and the hope of eternal life. John 20 through 29 say, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. The first truth we must comprehend is that we are eternal. We have a physical body and an eternal soul. 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen thirty-five through 57. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same, People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Two kinds, physical body, eternal body. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star and splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, two bodies. So it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of earthly men, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says our physical bodies are like a seed. The seed will be planted, it will die, and it will be raised as something new. Our new bodies are eternal. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46 say, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, You you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Eternal punishment or eternal life. Daniel 12, verses 1 through 2. say: At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame, and everlasting contempt. Revelation 14, 10 through 12 say, They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. That cup is the cup that Jesus drank down. Full strength. That cup is the cup that I fill every single day with the bad things that I do. The mean words that I say, the unkind things, the curses. Put it in there. My Lord and Savior drank it down, the full measure of it. They will be tormented with burning and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Luke 16 19 through 31 it's the rich man and Lazarus it tells us this picture of what heaven and hell are like it was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs came and licked his sores the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side the rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place If someone rises from the dead, hell doesn't sound too pleasant to me. It's a place of outer darkness, eternal fire, and eternal torment. I wish there weren't billions of people who were destined to eternal burning, eternal fire, eternal damnation. That's not the truth. The truth is, there are. And make no mistake, it's a choice. David Platt says, God is sovereign, but man is responsible. God does not want anyone to go to hell. And no one will go to hell unless they choose to. No one's going to stand before the judgment seat and say it isn't fair, or they didn't know. If you go to hell, it is over Jesus' dead and resurrected body. John has written 10 chapters begging with you, pleading with you, reasoning with you to repent, to stop your war against God, to lay down your arms while he is far off, to make peace now before it is too late, to stop your rebellion before the king returns and his armies bring peace to the land, to bend the knee, to take him as Lord and Savior, or don't, sheep and goats the choice is yours. For those that choose God, the promise is amazing. It is a fulfilled life now. A life of purpose, a life of challenge, a life of adventure. John 15:5 through 17 say, "I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. John 16, 20 to 24 say, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Life, joy, peace, and purpose. Now and forever. Those are the promises of walking with Jesus. I'm sure that I know that um, this talk of heaven and hell, this talk of eternal life and eternal damnation, we don't like it. We don't like it very much. Jesus is divisive. The Jews had the exact same reaction. When we hear about this stuff, we have two different reactions, right? Some people believe, some people want to pick up the stones, and they want to stone him. It's exactly what we see in our passage. Everyone likes the God is love part. Everyone likes the love your neighbor part. Now, people get mad when we testify that their deeds are evil and the consequence for their evil is eternal damnation. But I ask you a question for what crime do you stone him? For what crime do you reject him? There are both sides sheep and goats, eternal salvation, eternal damnation. Part of it is choosing. Part of it is being chosen. I pray that you choose life. I pray that you choose life today. Because, as an empty seat back there testifies, tomorrow isn't promised. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up our lives to you. That As we go out today, that the air would taste more sweet. That the smiles would touch our hearts. That the hugs would fill us with warmth. That each of these gifts of the people you have put in our lives would be that much more precious. We are seeking to be your people about your business. To build your church. To present your son with a bride through this week as we go to celebrate the birth of your son that the people would know you that they would be able to have time to spend with you to hear your word to draw close to you please Lord give us hearts to see those that are downtrodden please give us eyes and hands and feet and resources that we could lift those up around us that we would not walk past when they are suffering. Father, we are thankful for the many blessings you have given us. We are thankful to be here today. We pray for a special blessing over our kids that you would guard their hearts and guard their minds and guard their footsteps that they're so precious. Please help us to be good stewards of the gifts that you have given us. We are also seeking your wisdom. We are seeking your wisdom to speak to a world that seems to be angrier and angrier at you, that seems to react with such hatred to your word. Father, please open their hearts, open their minds. Break that heart of stone that your love could flow in, that they could turn to you. Mark them as your sheep that they could join the fold. We ask all of that in the name of your Son, the Good Shepherd, Jesus
0: Christ. Amen. Let's go fellowship.